Say what you will about the 2020 table for Sheffield Wednesday. Top of the pops in 2021. We'll talk about it here in the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. For no reason in particular that I can think of, I decided 3 o'clock this afternoon would be a good time to start drinking mezcal. I've continued through the evening. Started out with some last word riffs, but ran out of lime juice. And really, as it gets later at night, you want something a little more spirit forward. So I'm doing a Martinez riff now, classic. American cocktail, precursor to the Manhattan, made from gin and sweet vermouth. Uh, like my last word, Rift, is more or less a straight swap. It is primarily mezcal and sweet vermouth, but with a little bit of maraschino liqueur and a little bit of fernet franca, which is subbing for chinar, uh, an artichoke-based Italian amaro that I'm not a huge fan of, although it's fine in cocktails, not something I keep in the house, but a lovely little tipple. All right. The age of American exceptionalism. Only on this podcast, no greater connotation, I'm sure, is over because back from merry old England in New Jersey, Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Good evening, gentlemen. Um, first of all, I think you have been exceptional um, in the month that I've had off. So congrats to both of you and uh, You're to Mike. I'm just happy you did not have to podcast <laughs> about any of those games. Uh, but yes, what a strange day to record a podcast. Um, uh, so like yourself, Jeff, um, I was feeling a bit down about an hour ago. You're talking um, but... about Joey Barton being linked to the Sheffield Wednesday job. Can we'll get to that later. <laughs> that's the uh, piling on the misery. Um, I uh, didn't have any alcohol. I thought so at the beginning of, of an hour ago. So I was like, I can't do this podcast without alcohol. And uh, Jeff came to the rescue with a recipe. So I made a kind of rum sour out of the dregs of my cupboard. And then I discovered that um, my wife lied to me because I. I specifically asked for a bottle of whiskey to be sent to my quarantine, which I was staying in before I came to my house after my trip to the UK. And my wife said, you don't have any whiskey left. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have any whiskey, but then I found some whiskey in my um, my cupboard. So um, clearly she didn't want to drink whiskey. So I found it now though, and I'm drinking a whiskey sour. Uh, and it's very nice. And I plan to carry on drinking throughout this uh, podcast because it's going to be a little bit freewheeling. And wheeling and dealing with us on Cape Cod. It's Justin Disorder. Justin, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Patty, good to have you back. Um, so I'll be honest, uh, you really burnt the candle at both ends uh, running out my school year. And then I uh, did not take care of myself over the holidays. So I've been on the uh, council pop, as uh, Patty calls it, for a bunch recently. But then I realized I was going to have to look at the two of you for an hour about <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday. So I grabbed myself some canned heat craft beer company. It's out of Fall River, Massachusetts. I grabbed one randomly right. uh, recently. It's the B-Boy Stance Coconut Porter, and it's outstanding. I was worried it'd be a little too coconutty, but it's very subtle. Um, and I'm enjoying a break from, uh, from the water. Not so subtle was the ESPN Plus's commentators love for Wayne Rooney's Derby County. We'll review that game. Uh, we'll talk about the current managerial situation, such as it is. Uh, the current chairman situation, such as it is. We will actually talk about Sam Hutchinson this week. I know I kind of skipped over it last week, but the rumors have persisted since Tony Pulis has left the club. And we will preview an FA Cup game against Exeter City that may or may not happen. But we'll start with Wednesday one, Darby County nil out of the drop zone. 
assuming they don't suspend the league and Wednesday gets relegated on points per game. <laughs> uh, batting down the hatches, a true smash and grab. Patty, your talking point is Shawi should not have been player of the match. I feel like starting with my negative point is a bit harsh. Um, so, Shawi got uh, the man of the match from uh, the Sky Sports um, team. Um, and look, he had a decent game. Uh, I felt it was like shaky early. I think he grew into it. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's displayed similar performances. He had a, first of all, he had a fantastic week, right? He scored his first goal at Hillsborough, Wednesday fan. Uh, then he gets banned in the match the week after. This is not the time <laughs> to, to knock him down a peg. But uh, that's the thing that kind of stuck in my mind out of this match, right? So we had a very good defensive display, um, especially for the last um, half an hour, um, second half, you could say. I think um, Odebayo, Lees uh, and Palmer all did fantastically. I think Lees probably um, would have pushed Dunkley close to that player of the month uh, vote. Uh, in my eyes, it's good to have someone uh, like him being dependable again uh, and certainly thriving since the captaincy was taken off him. Uh, shall we? And I, I didn't know if um, he was as dependable. I feel like he's still got a mistake in him. And the amount of time he gave the ball away in that game against Derby was, was scary. And it's not so much a problem if he does that in the midfield position. Um but it is a problem when he's in his own six-yard box and he's giving it to someone 12 yards away from goal, uh, which happened a couple of times. And does, it just like, scared me. He does me still play like a midfielder when he's back there. And again, he's not a centre-back by trade. So, Yeah, there's a couple of times where he just he passed it along the ground like in a crowd of like 10 players around him. And it's just like, just fucking hoof it, mate. Um, it was, it was, it's inexperience, right? It's youth, it's inexperience. And we were lucky to get away with it uh, on several occasions. Uh, I think... Positionally, he did okay um, against Derby. I think he marked, um, I think, Colin Cousy Richards pretty well. Um, and But overall, the reason why we kept a clean sheet on Saturday wasn't due to a massive defensive performance. It was because we were really lucky at times and Derby's finishing wasn't very good. Yeah, it was kind of like, you know, Wednesday struggled with the press, but Derby was about as bad in the final third as we've been, which is probably why. Both teams are at the bottom of the table. Uh, I'm actually going to tweak my point slightly. I was going to jump off that and talk about sort of the, the weakness in the midfield, how they couldn't really deal with Darby's press. You know, Bannon was pretty anonymous. It missed someone like really break up play and then push forward like a Luongo or an Izzy Brown. But, you know, looking back at it, these are the kind of games Wednesday never actually win. Like, they don't get the smash and grab. They don't get the scrappy goal and hold on, at least in, in recent memory. And, yeah, they got a little lucky. I think Darby can feel agree they didn't come away with a point, although the handball shout against Kadeem Harris in the last minute was bullshit. But I think it was an interesting tactical switch in a lot of ways where... They were not particularly effective going forward, but they did not park the bus until the last like eight or nine minutes of the game. And I think that made a difference. They did not invite Darby in. They at least made them kind of work for it a little bit in the midfield. They pressed up a little higher. They didn't really have any clear-cut opportunities to go 2-0 up, but 
I think they managed the game better under Neil Thompson. I think this was true in the Middlesbrough game as well. Look, I'm not saying give Neil Thompson the job, but he, I think he at least understands the squad, their limitations, you know, his limitations based on who he can select because of injuries. And I don't know. I feel, I don't feel confident they're going to stay up, but I don't, and I don't know if it's a turning point per se, but I think this is a team now that's going to get, is capable of getting results even when they don't actually deserve it, which is very important when you're trying to avoid relegation. I, I completely agree with you about Neil Thompson, by the way. So uh, it's one of the things that uh, struck me over the last couple of games. Uh, he's shown more tactical nous uh, than Lee Bullen ever did as a caretaker manager. And if you think of Bullen's tactics, if we were ever, <clears throat> if we were losing, they put four strikers on. If we were def- if we were winning, he put five defenders on. That was the uh, it was basically numbers, which were Bullen's tactics. Whereas Thompson, actually, I think he did really well to um, change the tactics against Derby, where we were getting overrun uh, throughout the midfield and in defence. And he actually asked Kachunga to sit um, uh, on, I think it was uh, one of the uh, the Derby midfielders that was causing a lot of problems for us. Uh, and it just nullified them a little bit uh, when he came on. And a, a few of the uh, players did the same job, man-to-man marking. He, he turned it around out the second half where they just weren't as effective anymore. Um so massive hats off to uh, Neil Thompson. I think he has done really well in those two games. And yeah, definitely showing a lot more now than a caretaker manager usually does. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm gonna... go ahead, Justin. Well, a couple of things when it came to the tactical side of things that I thought were were kind of interesting. We had uh, Pelopesi on their young midfielder night in once again Pelopesi in a largely man marking role. But this really kind of confused me after we had done the Derby preview, uh, uh, Corey from uh, Rams Review, who had come on, had mentioned Knight as being sort of a midfield engine, but not a creative player. And with Pelopesi chasing around their engine, I think that's what opened up all the holes in the midfield um, that really created problems for us, which is why we couldn't handle their press at all. And and Patty, well, I did pick that up with... Uh, Kachunga dropping back. Uh, to me, the big switch came around the 30, 30th minute mark. He flipped Harris and Reach, uh, which side they were playing on, and that provided some more support um, for us on the right side with Harris being able to, to come back and help out a little more. And I actually think as much as that was a smash and grab, that was 30 minutes of them all over us. And after that point, I didn't they didn't do much leading right up to after our goal. They actually felt like they kind of fell apart um, after our goal. So I, I've enjoyed uh, Neil Thompson's substitutions very much. I think he's gotten those dead on. Um, I think we roll the dice a little bit with a lack of uh, that Pulis or even Monk focusing so much on the defensive side of things. I think we are more open. I think we have gaps that are opening up. And we've seen that in the last two games, but, you know, we've had a solid back line for the most part, and we've had some good goaltending that's allowed us to come out of these games um, without giving up that big goal late. So I think for me, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword with the caretaker manager where what is Neil Thompson, the manager to bring us to the promised land of the premier league? Probably not, but that's not what they need right now. I don't know if you need that 
you know, fancy Dan hire. And, you know, you need Stuart Gray sometimes. And he feels very Stuart Gray. He's been a first team coach in this league for 20 years. He knows it well. He's, he's coached at all levels, youth, uh, you know, first team, et cetera, et cetera, under 23 is whatever. And he knows this squad very well. And a lot of the players, I mean, I'd have to go back and look. He was like coaching the youth team when Liam Palmer was there, but he's been here for long enough where that's a conceivable possibility. And he's done a very good job just having them. And yes, they're more open, but they can score two goals in a game now, which is the thing you need to do sometimes to get out of this league or at least get out of the drop zone. And they're still playing well. And Yes, they're, they've got a mistake in them, whether they've got nine behind the ball or if they're trying to be a little more uh, aggressive in possession and, and play it along the ground. I don't know. It's hard to parse if this is like a new manager bounce and how long that's going to last, if it is. But I, I feel like it could get worse, <laughs> depending on who they bring in is the thing. Yeah, I, I actually think it's only going to get better unless our injuries um, increase. As, as you pointed out, we make that trade, right? We give up some some room at the back because we are actually trying to attack with organization. We are sending more than two players into their half of the field. And, and I'm fine with that trade-off. I mean, Jeff, you and I spent a month doing solo shows, arguing back and forth about how terrible – this defensive football is. I, I'm glad to see us doing this. To, to me, though, the biggest problem is right now it is the injuries. And you've got a situation where Neil Thompson and and granted uh, Pulis before him and Monk, but right now Neil Thompson is forced to plug holes with players who are either not that good or not in that position. So Patty mentioned uh, Liam Shaw, who I'm a huge fan of, but Patty's exactly right. He he was a little off, including he was actually supposed to be marking Chasm Richards on that header that went off the crossbar. Shaw totally lost him. And Is this that, the first that was time on he's him. played in a center back too? I feel like every time he's played in a center back, he's at least had he's had more cover. He's had oh, yeah. Backs, yeah. You may be right about that. I mean, he looked he looked out of place. And, and you know, he worked hard and and he, you know, I agree with you, Jeff. You said earlier, he settled into the game. Um but we also have a guy in just to, this is my Pelopesi klaxon alert, I guess. But uh, you've got a guy in Joey Pelopesi who he plays every week. So we talk about him every week. <laughs> well, you have to. But, you know, here's the thing. He, if he is part of your midfield too, central midfield too, he's never going to be able to get that ball and advance it. And because of that, that limits what we can do as a team. If you have Luongo there or even Liam Shaw there, now, not only are they capable of making some defensive stops, but they also can move the ball. I think when Thompson gets more players back healthy, when he can put Massimo Luongo in, if he wants to use more of Izzy Brown, um, if he gets the back line together, we don't have Big Dom, obviously, but you can fill out the rest of that back line. Um, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be doing all right, even with, a caretaker manager in place. So, I think um, what we're kind of scared on subject here is that 
Chancellor was right to sack Pulis. Uh, because in two games, we've shown that our players can play better. Uh, I mean, they were even with well, injuries. So they were playing well, not well, but they showed flashes under Monk before Pulis took over. But Pulis was threatening, Pulis was throttling the creativity <laughs> of anything in our side. Right. And, and I even. I don't think it's so. I, I don't think that's incorrect. I think it's somewhat unfair to evaluate. Pulis's tenure, we didn't even get a transfer window to bring in his own people, but I also know what that would have looked like. So, yeah, no, I have no problem judging Tony Pulis. <laughs> well, the thing is, if it was um, a surprise how he played, which it sounds like it was to uh, Chancery, uh, then right, we, we, we maybe shouldn't um, judge Tony Pulis. But what he delivered was exactly what we knew he would deliver. And it didn't work with the players we've got, even in his own words, reported words, saying that they're not playing to uh, how I want them to play. So maybe you should get somebody else in. That was his words that's been reported, he said to Chancery. And I feel like that was the right choice. It is nuts, first of all, for those just records right now. It's nuts that your current manager admits that <laughs> when he's apparently already sold the, the boss that he can play any style with any kind of players. Um, and he yeah, said as he much say in the... his opening press conference that yeah. uh, he gets uh, pigeonholed as you know four four two and hoof it and whatever and then, like exactly he told Chance Siri that in the interview that he yeah. was willing to be flexible and play other styles and but he told us that too <laughs> in in the, in the press conference so we we commented on that in the first um, after the first press conference that he said that too that he can play any style and that people don't comment about the fact that I got stuck into Europe or whatever. Uh, and we were like, oh, great. Maybe maybe he's not the dinosaur. He's not the dinosaur we all make him out to be. But no, he is. He's just lied on his um, CV and his interview, like most people do. Um, but we're, we're seeing, I, I really did think that he's throttled the creativity out of us in that 10 games he had, and it did not work. Uh, we weren't sure enough in defence. If we were playing better defensively, I can forgive the lack of creativity up front. If we're playing better tactically, I can forgive that. But we weren't. We were, he, his tactics were horrendous for his tenure. It didn't make changes fast enough. He he set up to draw or to not concede. He had no plan going forward, um, and he, his style didn't work with the players we have. And that's what he had to work with. Chancery told him that at the beginning. Chancery very open in his couple of later on. One of the things he said in his uh, a video call was that he tells managers about the players they have and their shortcomings and positives I'm, I'm assuming the mainly shortcomings which Chancery talks about so he gives the coaches the the download uh, on like what players they have and what they have to work with and Poulos is like yeah don't worry about that I'll get him playing to a good style but he can't and he admitted that and that's why he's gone and that's why it's good that he's gone and regardless of how much a shit show of a club this is and how it's been run by a complete nutcase, it was still the right choice to get rid of him. Well, let's get to the uh, Chancery press conference then because... We will. Let me just say, though, okay. I, I hope that, that Patty, Patty misses a whole month of podcasts. And even though we've discussed every single thing that he just said... He's got to come in and throw some flames at Tony Pulis. And I can't wait till James comes on <laughs> three weeks. And it's like, can I just get my Tony Pulis piece in? Because we, we all need to get it off our backs. So, it's Patty, thank them you. so long. Well said. It was yes, only well 10 said. games and it felt like 
10 years so yeah and I, i'll be completely honest to remember at the beginding i said maybe he's the guy i was i, I was kind of you were the pull, high man you were wasn't the, the police train i was like maybe he's the guy to save us he's got a record of being stabilizing stuff but i was delegate. fucking wrong i was wrong <laughs> <laughs> okay it won't be the first time and it won't be the last time so that uh, that chancery media availability the thing that happened <laughs> Well, what do we expect at this point? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, this was just, I don't think it was like broadly different than like the, whatever, fans, fan forum. And We've had two, what, like there's probably yeah. been three, three times he's had these public things. It's always the same thing. Nobody understands me. I try really hard. People are mean, you know, and then flails about. Like, I, I, I think we're all very empathetic to the fact that you know, at least uh, maybe not James or Pete Lohman, but I, I think we all think that Dafon Chancery would like to win football games for this team, right? <laughs> like, this is not, you know, he's not a Venki or something like that. I thought you were going like to say that, that uh, but... we're all empathetic to the fact that our fans are right assholes. <laughs> <laughs> There's that factor too, but yeah, I just, I don't know, man, it felt like the same old, Everybody was all fired yeah, up. Yeah, I was, what did yeah. you expect him to say? You know, I mean, he doesn't need to have a. I mean, press conference, I guess. I mean, he did just. I don't know. Sack a manager left by mutual consent. Whatever. Um, yeah, I think he thinks strong. he's being a transparent, and that's what yeah. he keeps mentioning, right? Transparent. Um, and you got, in some respects, you you applaud him for that, but he's, he hasn't got the temperament and the uh, calm headedness to uh, stabilize the supporter uh, groups uh, and the club to really be that transparent. In some respects, it's better not to say the things that he wants to get off his chest because it just makes him look like a, lab- like a raving lunatic. Um, it's not even that. It's just that... Is he transparent about the wrong things? Like, we want to be transparent about his financial plan. He's transparent <laughs> about the fact that Tony Pulis is a piece of shit. <laughs> well, no, Tony Pulis, Monk's a piece of shit. Steve Bruce is a piece of shit. Tony everyone's a piece of shit. He likes Carlos. He likes Carlos. Well, well We all sure. like Carlos. Yeah. I just, I think it's... Uh... Look, and James has said this there doesn't seem to be a cohesive plan at the club. And that doesn't just go down to, you know, on field and, and transfer policy and developmental policy and, you know, long-term financial stability or anything like that. I think it does go down to sort of, you know, how do you present yourself to the media? And I don't like, I'm not going to like take shots at the, the Sheffield star or anything, but it's not like the hardest hitting you know, they're not shoving a microphone in your face after every loss like that. Like, like just have have a plan when you're going out there to talk about the manner you just fired and how you want to move forward. And you know, it's it's like anything else. Sports is a business, and you yes, you want your owner to on some level live and die with the results like a fan. You don't want him to be satisfied with uh, mediocrity and just putting money in his pocket, which I don't, I don't think it is, <laughs> uh, the last few years of mediocre Wednesday performances. I mean, we have the FFP numbers to back that up. God knows, but you know, you want, you want a level head, you want a plan to move the club forward and you want that 
communicated to to the fan base, to the media, to the players, to the coaches, to the to the club at large, to the you know the supporters, the community, and he generally has not been able to do that, or and has been unwilling to to hire the people in place to make that happen. It's a very long-winded way of saying that you know it's it's the same shit, different year. <laughs> Just that way. I think the people, the the thing that gets people annoyed the most is he still doesn't understand the fan base that he's inherited uh, or, or bought in some respects. Uh, the right assholes, <laughs> the ones that are that aren't assholes, that are just yeah. normal folk that want to support their team. He's he has he has this constant kind of um, back and forth with the word customer, like it's a bad word. Um, and he, he like, but yet he wants us to be customers. He wants us to invest more. Unless he's got the, maybe it's language barrier. Maybe it's the thing about something. He thinks a supporter should be someone that's funneling money into a club, regardless of how much money they have available <laughs> or how much money uh, they want to invest into something which they see as being invested badly. Um, they think, he thinks that a supporter should put money in regardless. And in buckets, in bucket loads. He wants people to keep paying money for, crap merchandise, uh, crap experiences, crap players, and he wants it to do it blindly. That's what... Crap pies. <laughs> yeah, no hot water and not stand, whatever. Um, <laughs> but he wants that. He wants people... that He thinks that's a supporter. He thinks that's someone that he wants to be a supporter of Wednesday. Wednesday supporters are willing to eat a lot of crap, God knows. Yeah, and but, well, but look around on Twitter and on Facebook and forums. They've had enough of eating crap. Yeah. And that's why the... That's why they're short. That's why they're short-tempered about their refunds about season tickets, which is unfair that they sh- they have been waiting so long for refunds. It's why most of them. I think he. I think he said that sixty percent asked for refunds, and he was upset by that. I'm like, dude, you should be fucking happy. Only six percent asked for refunds. Hundred percent people should be getting their refunds if they haven't seen any football this season. That is a ridiculous number. So he's his expectation levels of the fans. Uh, are just so far removed from reality. It, it is obscene. And he's been with the club for four, four and a half, five years now. He should know his audience. He should know his demographic. He should know that they can't afford to just fucking fork over a hand over fist for like subpar players and subpar performances and subpar merchandise. And they're not going to buy him out. He keeps saying this thing, oh, if, they want, if they're complaining, they can buy me out. We haven't got fucking millions of pounds between us to buy him out. It needs to... If, you, if he's serious about selling up, and he's, which he obviously isn't, then he needs to court actual businessmen outside of Sheffield. Um, and he needs to stop complaining and putting it into our, our laps. But this is our fault. It's not our fault. And you're still putting 20, 25,000 in Hillsborough every weekend when they're allowing fans in. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. We, we're doing draw, our best. still one of the better drawing clubs in the championship. Do you, do you think, Patty, you sort of mentioned the... It, Maybe, Jeff, the idea of like the the translation um, being off sometimes with him. But, you know, I almost wonder if it's not from the start his expectations. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that football has seen certainly since 92 when uh, football began, I believe, uh, that there's ownership groups that outside of England ownership groups come in. They're businessmen. They're wealthy. And they're looking to be Roman Abramovich. And they're looking to be these guys who have 
glorious clubs with new stadiums and lots of money and lots of fans. Because you know what? These days, people that are Manchester United fans are customers. And Liverpool fans are customers. And Arsenal fans are customers. And it's a giant international global billionaire's game that they're playing. And when a guy like Dafon Chancery, who again is a, you know, grew up quite wealthy, um, has never really lived a normal person's life. Um, when, when people like that try to view this thing, I think they see it as a product. They, they understand the passion and they understand, you know, winning and the enjoyment of that and may even enjoy the game. But in the end, their mentality and their reason for owning a team is to become wealthier and to gain access and to do that through the customers. And, you know, Sheffield is, as you pointed out, Patty, it's, it's not these days. That's not the place that's going to do it. I don't think it's shocking that none of the Yorkshire teams have joined this you know, boom to get to the Premier League. Uh, Leeds has, but they've done that because they're a one-city team and they got a great manager. But this is I, not where you come in. Go ahead. I, I don't think that. Um, I see, I'm, I'm maybe I'm shut down for this. But if he's regarding this as a product and you market product and you invest in it and you have a plan for it and you have a strategy for it and you you work on that product. He's not got the experience uh, to do that, and he hasn't done that effectively. I think what the successful teams have done is almost treated like a product, but those people that treat like a product know their audience. They know this, they have a strategy for getting you to X, Y, and Z, and they do that product marketing and salesmanship really well, right? He's not even, he's not even doing the basics well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care if he's doing selling like a product, like Sheffield Wednesday is a product and he's selling us a product. I wouldn't care if the product's good. It's terrible. Mm. And he's not got a plan to make it better. It just keeps throwing shit at, the, shit at the walls and hoping something works. And yeah, it might work. Occasionally you get lucky and you get a good manager and it clicks with the team and you go up. Um, but more often than not, it doesn't work. And you need a bit more managerial now, an owner that knows what he's doing. Um, I mean, all he's offering right now is deep pockets. And it, they, those pockets seem to be getting more and more shallow by the day. On that note, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll cover the Wednesday news and preview the magic of the cup, maybe, against Exeter City. Let's have some Wednesday news. Uh, and Wednesday, still have a caretaker manager, Neil Thompson, as we mentioned in the last segment. But the rumor mill continues to serve us some grist in the form of Wednesday managerial candidates. Uh, we talked about Thorsten Fink last week. He's still in the mix. Uh, Paul Cook's Wikipedia page briefly said he was already Wednesday manager. You can't trust Wikipedia. Who can you trust? And uh, Joey Barton, since leaving Fleetwood Town, has become the better's favorite because apparently Yorkshiremen like being separated from their money. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, as a reminder, betting odds are designed solely to maximize the profit for the betting company by trying to get Jeff, you realize that the on each candidate. Yeah. You realize the best option for our sponsorship right now is betters, right? We need to get betting people to sponsor our podcast. So maybe I'm we saying should, they're very uh... good at their jobs. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> okay. not casting aspersions. I'm just telling you how gambling works. Hey, odds checker, if you want to sponsor us. Today, uh, we get like a free bet on Joey Barton to be. Uh, He's a clear I favorite. I don't clear favorite. Doesn't mean, they, they've never actually picked the clear favorite under Chancery, though, right? Um, no, and also they the clear favorite changes every single day, um, right. depending on who posts a hundred dollars I mean, on. Literally it. in the last week, Ben Olsen rumors came up and were then. Uh, oh, I would probably rather have Joey Barton, which says something. <laughs> Because the, the Ben Olsen is is disaster. You know, Barton's funny because he's it's one of those guys that like when, when I think of Joey Barton, I think of two things. I think of uh, violence and I think of uh, gambling, right? And being suspended for gambling issues. However, he's also a guy who's known to like go on question time and, you know, read Wittgenstein and sort of do this. So <laughs> When I was looking him up, though, uh, I was trying to do some background on him, find out more of his tactics. Literally every single thing, if you if you want to search Joey Barton in tactics, every single time an article mentions that, it's literally him saying, oh, my tactics were I told the boys to go get up on him. And I'm like, that's not what. And just hire Gary. That's Barton. not the kind of tactics, right? That's that's not the tactics get up on that him. we need. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I said, oh, fuck it. And this is not the type of manager they've gone for under Chancery for the most point, and whoever his advisors are at the time. Um, Can I tell you who my favorite is? Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy I think I mentioned for the first time today, uh, Rene Weiler. Um, okay, I bet you know who that is. Purely based on the fact that he's a hunk. He is, <laughs> he is a dish. Um <laughs> If you uh, check out Rennie Weiler, um, he looks like the uh, main character in Team America. You know, the puppets with like the kind of like uh, six o'clock shadow. Is that the right thing to say? Um, he's got those kind of like doughy big eyes. Lovely bit of stubble. Um, Swiss, where, where has he managed? Uh, he has managed. I'll tell you in a second. I'm just scrolling down. Oh, uh, is he, he left... the guy who wore the white shirts? He managed in Africa? No, he managed that's to, uh, Harvey Renard you're thinking of. I would yes. love Harvey Renard okay. at Sheffield Wednesday, to be clear. I mean, he's wearing not... a white shirt in this picture I'm looking right now. So just... <laughs> and he managed an Egyptian outfit, uh, um, Al Ali. He left them in October. Uh, he's won the Premier League and Super Cup with them. He spent time in Anderlecht uh, in Belgium. He's been FC Luzerne in Switzerland and FC Nuremberg in Germany. He was uh, Swiss international, won a Belgian league title, a Belgian Super Cup. Uh, the cost of my career is accrued a points per game average of 1.75, which uh, is a win percentage of 50%. Yeah. Um, but in his last role, he won 70 of his matches at Al Ali. Um, he prefers uh, a lone striker um, with a kind of 4 2 formation. <laughs> <laughs> haven't got many to choose from. Uh, I'd like to thank Sheffield staff for filling me full of stats before this uh, podcast started. So. Um, yeah, I, I like him. Uh, he's uh, beautiful, um, and that's what I think we need right now. At least have a nice thing to look at when <laughs> we're cutting to the sideline after one. He's going to be a lady's favorite. I'll tell you he that. Had a bad goal. Yeah. 
let's check out the uh, current odds. Who else we got? All right. This is up-to-date oddschecker.com. Uh, as, as, as mentioned, Joey Barton is the current favorite at 9-4. to I'm oh, sorry, he's 11-10 to 10 now since leaving Fleetwood Town. That seems ridiculous. Uh, Paul Cook at 4-1. to one. You know, annoyed me about about Joey Barton. They asked him if he was open to the job, and he said, um, "I'd be interested if they get in touch." Something like that. I was like, "Who the fuck do you think you are? Just apply for the job like a normal person. You're not big enough to, for us to hound you and to ask us to uh, to managers. Uh, Fucking Mick, put your CV in the post." Mick McCarthy on the board now at twelve to one after leaving uh, Applewell. Oh yeah, <laughs> another Cyprus um, failure. That that would be horrible. But I still really like Mick McCarthy somehow. Did we ever get to the bottom of all, why the people are going to Cyprus all of a sudden? You know, what, what was the yes. exodus? What Beaches, happened? wines, <laughs> olives, I get, I get the appeal of Cyprus. <laughs> why did they just start to go in there now? Well, uh, on Paddy Power, uh, Paul Cook is the current favorite. I like Paul Cook too. Um, not as handsome as Renee. Neil Thompson, second favorite. Or sorry, Dre Barton, second favorite. Neil Thompson. Danny Cowley still there, even though he literally said on Sky Sports he had talked to uh, Chance Dario. was kind of turned off. Uh, first and <laughs> at 12 to 1. Southern Village at 25 to 1. I'll throw a little down on that. Did we discuss? Um, oh, we haven't discussed this yet. Um, the fact that who would come to us? <laughs> we did discuss that. <laughs> it feels that's the kind of elephant in the room here. We, we from the rant. Any manager that's seen the rant Chance we had last week, and the way that the um, Poulis left, and to some extent the way Monk left, um, and the, I mean it's publicly available information on, on Chancery at this moment in time. Uh, and the, the fact that players weren't getting paid, yes, they're paid now, but it, it feels to me that someone that's going to take this over um, has to be desperate. Um, so I don't think we're getting the best of the best in this next appointment. Uh, yes, there's probably still some talent out there, but it I mean, needs to be someone... There's always a manager that wants to manage in the championship. Or get into true, but at what cost? Football. Right. So I, we danced around this in the first segment. Is, do you just give Neil Thompson the job for the end of the year? What do you think, Justin? No, because if you do that, it starts to go wrong. You're gonna what? Like I mean, Neil, Neil Thompson, Neil Thompson, and Lee Bolin, and guys like that are servants of the club and. They are very valuable guys to have around, to give you continuity, to, to go throughout the system. I like having guys like that working with the youth team. That's how you bring players in. You hear, like, Gary Megson should be working with the youth team. Like, we should have the people with the youth team and with the younger players that are preaching the message and the history and all of that. Uh, there's a reason that Neil Thompson has not been a first-team manager for a while, right? <laughs> right. And, and this isn't to slight him. There, there's only so many jobs and, you know, there's only some, some people are, are better at this and that, but go ahead, Jeff. I mean, my counter argument is like Stuart Gray, basically. 
Is it sometimes you just need? I think. Look, I don't think Neil Thompson. I think we're in the position where we were when Dave Jones got sacked. Honestly, seven years later or whatever it is now, but you just need someone that's going to get enough out of the team to keep them up for the year, and then you reevaluate in. I I would and like I that. I don't think there's like the danger. Not the danger, but I don't think it's like a situation where with Gray, where he's going to do so well that you're not going to be able to move off him. And like, you can actually spend some time, summer transfer windows, different January transfer window. You can look at where you want to, you know, if they do stay up, you look at where you want to have the club moving forward. You can bring in a manager in concert with an actual transfer policy. I mean, there's money to be spent there. Um, and you know, try to get something more approaching a unified idea of football. I don't know. Um, they've already gone through. They're already on their third manager this year. I don't know, like how much you want to turn over that voice in the dressing room. So I'm saying I, I don't think you can do that. And I think if you give Thompson the power, if you say you are the guy going forward and something goes wrong, like great example, our next two games are uh, Coventry and Wickham, both very winnable games. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, we, we win those two. You know, there's going to be a groundswell of support behind. Oh, we're winning under Neil Thompson. <laughs> right. We're doing that. Well, you know what? Then we get Bournemouth, Preston, Millwall. Swansea Stoke. So, you know what? If we come out of that and we're still winning all the games, and hey, maybe Neil Thompson's the guy with the magic touch. But I, I would be happy, Jeff, with what you suggest. I wouldn't really have a problem with us just taking a deep breath and seeing where the next three weeks go, where the next month goes. We can't before... do that. Go ahead. We can't, we can't do that. Because we've got to get someone in that wants to bring some players in, right? And wants the players that he knows. Can they actually bring for players January? In? Yeah. Are they yeah. actually going to spend any money? Well, apparently um, we're going to without a manager, right? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like Chancery. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think that necessarily. I think the managers that we've had have had input into transfers, but certainly they're not doing it all themselves. Um, uh, so, I, I, I look given. If we could have time to sit and think about who's the best candidate and give Neil Thompson some time to try it, yes, I think it would be a good thing to do. However, we're in January. So which means we're in yeah. uh, t- clock's ticking to get someone in fast to make sure that he has time to buy the players. I mean, genuinely, the only thing that happens in January is the end of the January window when things happen. So we, we still probably have a week max to get someone in and assess who we've got in the squad and what we need. I'm pretty sure that the higher ups and chances advisors know the targets or at least um, positions we're looking at. Uh, I'll give them some credit. Um, but I do think we need to get someone in the next week or so because without that, we're going to be floundering again with a manager that's going to be managing a bunch of players that he hasn't chosen. And that's, I feel like for the last couple of managers we've had, that's been their excuse. We don't want a manager to come in with an excuse saying, well, I didn't get to pick my own team. I didn't get to pick my own players. And that's the last thing we need. Even if we get a couple of signings in, um, that's something I think we need to really take into account. Well, I think uh, the problem is, so, so here's the actual problem. You need a, a manager to come in, stabilize the club, and keep it up. So you need a proven championship manager. 
they fired two of them this year already. Who's taking that job? Why? No, I'm going to argue with it. Why do you need a Pooh and Champion manager to get them to stay up? All you need is someone to motivate the players. Yeah, I think so that's a, is it Neil Thompson doing that? <laughs> it's in for two games in a row. Um, whether right. he can do that once they, if they hit a, a tough patch, for instance. I, I, I do think that Neil Thompson's got some kind of a Poolist revenge uh, bounce to him. I'm not going to call it a new manager bounce. It's kind of like a <laughs> fuck Poolist, we're out of that. Let's try and show what we can do. Our players, we've seen time and time again, are quite fickle. Um, and they seem to have a lot of power um, over who's managing them. It, it, especially with the last two or three people we've had managing them, Monk especially, and uh, thingy, they, they don't often want to go down that route. It takes a lot of time to convince them to play where a manager wants to play. And it feels like police realized that very quickly on uh, and wanted to get out of there. Um, what you've got to get uh, for this bunch of players is a manager with charisma almost and discipline, which is hard to find, I imagine. Uh, one that's going to be able to... Don't say, you're going to whisper Carl's cover. <laughs> no, I was going to whisper Paul Cook. Well, Paul I do I do Paul think that Paul... In a, without taking the piss out of Rennie Weiler and his lovely looks, I think Paul Cook is probably the best fit right now. Um, based on what we've heard as far as how your management style is, how he gets along with the players and creates that atmosphere and that, that kind of like dressing room kind of camaraderie and the style of play, right? Uh, and he's got success with that too. So I really do feel that Paul Cook is the most achievable, realistic, best fit for us. Um, whether that Chancery will want to get uh, another English manager in after being burnt three times in a row is another question. But um, hey, I mean... I don't think you can really judge people on nationalities about personality and experiences in the other day. Very enlightened view, Patty. <laughs> uh, I've got one more. There's one more candidate I wanted to throw in there that um, right. has got a lot of traction today. And that is the ex Watford manager. Uh, which one you may which have one? <laughs> <laughs> The most recent one, uh, Vladimir Ivich. He's the second favourite in the bookies at the moment, not on Oddchecker, on, on some other uh, Twitter um, accounts. Uh, he had a, a whopping four months in charge of Watford uh, and a quite reasonable uh, 40% win rate um, in those four months. And that, I think that was like just outside the top six, which I guess is probably not good enough for them. They weren't even, they were in fifth when yeah, he was in, fired. They were in the playoff uh, places. So, the, but the, the word on him was it was, it was the football was grim. And if you look at that roster, they, that's not a roster that you play. You know, I, I wouldn't go as far as called anti-football, but that's not a roster that you, you keep in first gear. Um, I mean, Wednesday and, might have that roster. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I just, just fucking move the ball forward. I was hoping, speaking uh, of smoke shows, that it would be Kike Sanchez Flores, who is a good looking man. <laughs> If we are judging our managers on smoke shows, I'm, I'm sorry, Rene Weiler wins. Um, Vladimir Ivich has got a very kind of Serbian kind of uh, jaw to him, uh, very straight beige kind of character. Um, and I don't are think any, are there any pretty Yorkshiremen? <laughs> hey, because no. you're looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> we got Paul Owen, that's about it. I mean, Megson, the, the looker. <laughs> yeah, that's his face. That's his natural look, Joe. Let's Justin. move on. I guess we've sufficiently previewed the transfer window as well. Uh, so there's still Hutch rumors. 
That'd be granted after watching Troy Papessi start every game. Are you ready for the return of Sam Hutchinson, Patty? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not. I, I don't really. Um, I don't really think we're going to lose much by bringing him in. I'm guessing he's going to be on minimal wages. Um, and it, we've, we've got so many injuries with Luongo out every other week, and Papessi is Papessi. Um, I think it's worthwhile bringing him in. If I'm with you, it's going to be very cheap, and he, he knows the club. Um. So I, I, if it happens, it happens. It's not the most inspiring signing. I hope it's not like that's the only signing we get in January. But what's the worst that can happen? Well, I mean, he's one of those. He's one of those guys like Westwood. You know, I mean, a very strong personality, and I don't think that always goes over that well. I I won't pretend to know how Hutch was received in the clubhouse and what people thought of him. Um, I mean, I, I'm fine with bringing him back in the general sense that, you know, he can, he can do a part. Um, I don't like the idea of bringing him back, not him personally. I I'll tell you guys this. I think, you know, the only Sheffield Wednesday Jersey I have with a name on the back is a Rada Johnson Jersey. Um, but the only other guy that I really almost got on a Jersey was Hutch a few years ago absolutely loved him and everything he brings to the table. But, you know, at this point in injury prone, he's, you know, is he, he's better than Pagliopessi, obviously. Um, but, you know, he's not as good as the Wongo. And, and honestly, at this point, I, from what I've seen of Liam Shaw in that defensive midfielder role, uh, I'm just as happy giving Shaw the time to, you know, grow on the grow on the ball and get used to the playing time. Yeah, I don't particularly have strong feelings either way here. I we know he can do a job for us. He offers something a little different. Uh, he can play a central defensive midfield role. He can play center back to if called upon, probably better than Shaw can, and can't keep any mm-hmm. of our center backs healthy. So. He's a squad player, though. Yeah, and that's fine. It's like, Which is why like on short wages in the midfield right yeah. now. Yeah, I'll take him back. But that's that's we need more than that out of as you just said, Daddy. We need more than that out of January. What else? What else do we need? And and no, let's keep this relatively short. We need a striker. <laughs> we definitely need a striker. Uh, Big striker, a target man. We seem to be, we seem to play uh, football for our target man. Uh, sorry, we seem to wants to play football to a target man but don't have a target man there and that's why I think we have problems scoring goals. So I was I was thinking about this in the last week or so and I think we had a conversation in the WhatsApp group about and that was Patterson or Windass or whatever striker they play that's not actually a striker. Is all of them is the best formation for this team right now like a four three three with a false nine? where they can actually push Reach and Harris up the pitch a little bit more. Look, we know that we know that Reach can put a ball in. We know yeah. that Harris can beat a man and not put a ball in. Um, we need some backup, I think, in that right wing area, which I think is a massive problem for us right now. If we were to play that that formation, which I do, I do like it, but the problem with the false nine is you're not really looking so much for your wingers to put a ball in as much to get in 
to move center and take a shot themselves. I mean, Reach and Harris are both capable of doing that. Yeah, but the the finishing leaves Mm -hmm. quite a lot to be desired. You're not looking at Mane and Salah. You're looking at fucking like. (laughs) I got a little bit of news here. It's not. It's not good. Um, I don't know if they're clinical enough to play that kind of uh, formation. Honestly, Jeff, I think we need some better finishers. Jacob Murphy's probably a good player to put in that position, but he's playing wing back for Newcastle at the moment. <laughs> well, this this is why the the I still think this team was built for, and they were built for um, a, a three five two. And I think having uh, Harris and Reach as two of the wide uh, wing back types or or wide players with a couple guys in the middle, even if those guys aren't, you know, your sort of fox of the box, finish it, number nine uh, player. I, I think it gives them somebody in there. I mean, we've seen Patterson score. We've seen Windass score when actually given a little bit of service. Um, you know, I don't think those guys are double digit goal scorers, but I, mean, I think Patterson has looked a little bit friskier since they started playing on a more possession-based football last couple. I mean, it's two games, so I don't want to read too much into it, but he's in and amongst it a little bit more. In and amongst it's probably the best um, description <laughs> I can give of Patterson. I, I really, I don't, he puts a lot of effort in. He's one of those players which is, he's rising to the top of a very average team um, because of the amount of effort he puts in. And he, he, look, Fair play to his goal at the weekend. He, he stuck his head in there where a lot of players wouldn't. He's a brave kid. He puts effort in, but I don't think he's got a lot of natural talent, and I don't think he's necessarily going to start and score as 15 goals a season. Um, so for me, we still need to sign a goal scorer, um, and I don't want Patterson necessarily in the first 11 uh, if I'm seen as surviving this season. Uh, well, I mean, what's his, what's his position, right? Like, he's not... He's a footballer. He's a gamer. He's all that, but he's not. All I can see from him is effort, which is to be applauded. I'm not going to say not going to knock that, but uh, there's nothing in his skill set that says he's a attacker, a midfielder, a defender. That he just puts effort in. He just gets about a lot, and he puts himself about, which at the moment is working to some respect. But we can't rely on that for a full season. We need someone that actually has proper skills. Proper skill, that's a good um, scouting thing. Just, just buy someone with proper skills, please. <laughs> I mean, again, I think it comes down to how they want to play. Like, they, Obviously, they need full back depth, right. which we've been saying for literally since the beginning of this podcast. And they still never actually had full back depth. I think they're fairly well suited once they can get everybody healthy on the back line in general. I think they're in okay shape in the midfield in general. So it's really, yeah, getting someone that can bang enough balls in to keep them up, which we've been saying for however many years now. And like, they don't, they don't develop this player. They haven't had like that. If it's George Hurst or my main man, Preslav Barkov, but. They haven't really gotten the attacking players out of the academy. And look, you know, finding a first-team striker at this level is not easy. It's usually very expensive. But they've, you know, gone too much for the Windass and Patterson types. 
you know, sometimes it's work. You know, Gary Hooper was excellent. It's easy to say we need a Gary Hooper type. And Gary Hooper played for fucking Celtic. Like, you know, Stephen Fletcher played in the Premier League for years and Ligue 1 and, you know, banged them in for Wednesday. Like, you know, getting that player costs a lot of money. You now, can you find that guy on a on a free on high wages every once in a while? Sure, but why would they come here right now? You know, it's it's a trickle down effect. Well, it's a great point you raised too about the you know the club producing in the academy. We we talked a few weeks ago, Jeff. I think about the fact that they're start we're starting to finally see over the last couple of years some kids coming out of the academy, whether it's Matt Penny or Liam Shaw or. Uh, Hunt or and you know the story is still to be written on Hurst. Um, but you're right, they they haven't the, produced, outside of Sean, none of these players can get in the first team. Not not right now. Um uh was Charles Hagen is the guy I was trying to think of. Uh sure. it seems to be maybe you know, I, something. I, I don't know, but you're right, like that's we need a striker. Um and, and I'll just throw back to what Patty said earlier, and I, I think Patty, you're right about that when I mentioned the manager and maybe waiting around and Jeff, you mentioned it. What we do this transfer window does depend on what we want to play, as you said, Jeff. And that goes to Patty's point, which is we got to figure out who the fuck's in charge before we start bringing players in. Otherwise you can't, you end up with no offense, Callum Patterson and guys who can maybe do a job, but aren't specifically designed. Like will the new manager use Izzy Brown or not? And if not, then we are playing a different system and we need to bring in guys for that. I mean, I will just point out that regardless of the manager, the system, the whatever, they've scored 15 goals in 23 games. So just someone that can score goals. I don't, I don't care what position they <laughs> yes. got. I don't care if it's Rita Johnson banging <laughs> in headers. Someone that can score goals would be nice. Uh, they only need to score goals if they want to beat... Exeter at the weekend on an FA Cup game that may or may not happen because I guess to transition from Wednesday news to the Exeter game, uh, Wednesday's training had been shut down for a COVID outbreak, which seems to be something that's happening across the championship this week. Um, as we record on Wednesday night, we don't know if they're set to resume training on Thursday at Middlewood Road. I assume they're doing a bunch of rapid testing and stuff like that. Uh, England is in the midst of a national lockdown. It's also not breaking news, but news. But the footy continues, and thus this podcast continues, and thus we get to preview Exeter City, Justin. So I will quickly uh, say I, I would like to give a little bit of history on Exeter City that I sure. did not know. I'm not going to go into the town of Exeter, although I will say it's in Devonshire, which is in the southwest. Uh, Cornwall is the last tip poking out into the Atlantic, uh, Devonshire's next to that. So uh, it was formed in 1901 as St. Sidwell's United. Uh, there was a neighboring club in the same city, uh, Exeter United. And apparently after St. Sidwell's defeated Exeter United uh, in 1904, Exeter United suggests they join together and become uh, Exeter City FC. They were founding members of the third division in 1920. Um, which is something to be said for that, although they've never been above the third division. Um, now, the story that I thought was pretty cool about them is they were in either the third or fourth tier for their entire history until 2003. Um, 
they got knocked out into the conference and basically went bankrupt and were bought by a supporters trust, um, the Exeter Supporters Trust. Unfortunately, like all fucking supporters trusts, they were dead broke. Um, I believe in my notes, it says broke as fuck. Um, and that's how they were. However, they ended up with an FA Cup draw against Man United, at which they went to Old Trafford, drew nil-nil, and took home. This blew me away. As their half of the gate receipts, 650,000 pounds. They then got a replay that was televised, even though they lost two to nothing. Um, they got a whole bunch of money for that. That money was enough to cancel their debt and get them back on track, in which just a couple of years later, they uh, beat Cambridge in the playoff final to get out of the conference in front of 42,000 fans, which is quite a crowd for a uh, conference final game. So I thought that was a, a cool little story and an idea of, you know, I think we've talked a bunch on the pod about since uh, you know, that whole Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal conspiracy to break away or, you know, snub everybody. Um, the whole idea that there are so many clubs out there with really interesting histories and clubs for whom things like the FA Cup and the League Cup uh, really matter. So we shouldn't just piss on them because it interferes with the Champions League. Um, anyway, of note, Exeter City currently this year, they're 10th in League Two. Um, they lead all of England in goals scored in all competitions. They have 57 goals scored uh -oh. in all competititions this year. They have 40 goals scored in the league. What a uh, stat. Just... Oh, wait, are you the stat man? Let's bring it back. <laughs> I don't even know if I still have the drop. Oh, uh, well, put it in if you do. Um, <laughs> So typical League Two side, the entire team is English, except for a Welshman and an Irishman and a Frenchman that they bring in off the bench once in a while. Um, they're, two, they're two forwards. They tend to play a 4-4-2. Um, although from do. what I found, yes. Although from what I found, they played a 3-5-2 last English year. Football. Maybe one of those things where it's, where it's a 4-4-2 in defense and a 3-5-2 going forward, which would... Uh, makes sense, but they've got both of their forwards have nine goals apiece. Um, uh, their Welshman is Jake. To, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. How, how many, many goals do we Wednesday, have? How many games would Wednesday have to play to get one of our strikers to nine goals, let alone two? Uh, I bet what forty six would be my guess. We'll, you think we'll someone's going to get the nine, nine this year? I do. Patty's at like five, maybe six. He's I don't at know. Four. I'm pretty sure. Oh, oh brutal. All right. Well, he's not even a striker. Anyway. <laughs> so there by that definition, only striker is Jordan Rhodes, who has one. I think one. He's won one this season. Patty, it's, it's, how many? Patty, how many goals did you say at the beginning of the year, Jordan Rhodes? Oh no, he's got. He's got oh yeah, he's got one this season. He's got thirty. Had thirteen before the beginning of the season. It's fourteen now, I believe. Yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, they play a 4-4-2. They go down the right side to a guy named Randall Williams, who seems to be sort of the engine. They like to cross it in for uh, you know their forwards up front. Uh, more or less, they, they tend to play a fairly uh, passive 4-4-2 uh, on D, like to hit you on the counter. As Jeff said, he probably could have saved a lot of time by saying classic English lower league side. 
So what do we, uh, I guess, I don't know what play. I mean, and they're going to probably go to play. Uh, Where is the game, by the way? It's at Exeter. Exeter, yeah. I wouldn't so send they- anyone under, um, I wouldn't send anyone over the age of 23 down to Exeter. I would, um, first, of all, first of all, the training facility has been, um, like say, shut down due to COVID. So you've got to assume that there's probably, I think they were getting tested today, weren't they? So maybe we'll find out tomorrow if anyone were positive. Um, but you got to assume that some of our players have got COVID um, and uh, need to get kind of like rested anyway if they didn't have COVID. So I wouldn't be sending anyone over the age of 19 down to Exeter to play the FA Cup game. I All think right, it's Patty, give us give us your uh, first choice 11. For... First 11? Uh-huh. I can't even name 11 on 23 players. Um, you've got to look up, look, Kieran Brennan's got to be in there. You've got to look at maybe, maybe Alex Hunt. Um, yeah. The people that you saw on the bench against Derby. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see um, Dele Bashiru, a bit more of a 90-minute kind of guy. He's got to be pushing. Uh... See, he was pushing the door of the, of the first team, the first like, five, ten games of the season, but then he kind of went out of, out of uh, favour, which I feel is a little sad because he showed a little promise. Yes, he was raw, but so is Shaw. Shaw's raw yeah. too. Um, so I'd love to see FDB. Um, Brennan's going to be down there. I don't really know. I wouldn't risk Matt, any. Honey. I wouldn't risk any of our defenders because we've got so it was so thin on the ground because they're all injured. So yeah, Penny would go down there, I reckon. Um, strikers Hagen wise, would uh, be a guy. Yeah, I'd go down eight, under 18s and 23s. Not anyone in the first team, or even near the first team, unless we're really confident they're gonna. Um, they're gonna uh, actually. It's the, fuck it, Pelopetti can go down there. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Pelopessi. What? He's a starter. Yeah. Captain Pelopessi. Send him down there on his own in his Fiat Cinquenta. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he can manage the whole thing. What you're saying, Patty, is it's time to focus on the league. It's, it's, it's time to throw Pelopessi to the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Exeter also last uh, stat, although now I've close the window so I don't actually have it, but they are really good at home, like nine wins and one loss and not quite as good uh, on the road. So, you know, I think they're certainly capable of, of giving us a game, but especially if we follow Patty's, uh, Patty's idea. I see a loss on the cards, if I'm honest with you, um, because of the fact that I said that thing was and the kids down there. I mean, As they should. ESPN Plus game, so. It is, yeah, ESPN Plus. If you're in the US, if you're in Canada, you are shit out of luck, I'm afraid. The uh, zone has not picked it up yet. Um, I hope they do for you, but it doesn't look like likely at all. Looking at our Canadian fans upset on Twitter. So, yeah, yeah ESPN Plus um, should still be active from your Derby subscription. Um, and then if you're in Canada, I'm sorry. I may have to renew because I got it for Norwich, so that might be over the month now. Our Canadian friends are probably still reeling from their uh, loss to the United oh, States God. in the World Junior Championships last <laughs> night. So, stuck in Canada. <laughs> this is an episode 121 of the Owls America, which covers all of North America. <laughs> Actually, all of Americas. But all we Americas. just our Brazilian owls. If you're listening, Brazilian owls, we used to, we used to have a good connection with uh, Rafa. An Argentinian owl at one point. We've got to get the Argentinian owl. Yeah, we had a five-side team in Argentina. <laughs> um, yeah, 
surprisingly well, not as active now that we're so shit. <laughs> well, Brazil. Uh, the Ar- Argentina Argentina Owls Twitter account is live every game, whether That's it's great. one of them running it or all of them. They're they're always on it. Yes, and then I end up translating their tweets, and they're just gorgeous. <laughs> it's always like these incredibly obscene things that nobody <laughs> understands or obscene until you translate them. And I'd say, what about my mother? Well, you can get in contact with the show wherever you are in the Americas. Or oh, Jeff's still talking, Justin. At it's so quiet, I got here. <laughs> and email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com. And find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumper is by called Wednesday's Reverend of the Makers. Podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you should download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Whether you choose to consume the Owls of AmeriCast, we ask you rate and review the show. It helps more websites find our ramblings. You've all, by interrupting me in the outro, because this episode is already too goddamn long, lost your privilege for a closing question. But I will mention <laughs> Patty's on Twitter at Patty A. Jones and at New York Owls. Justin's on Twitter at New England Owls. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Petter and we'll see you back here next week. Thank you.